Welcome back to the Comics Course. It has been forever. A few reminders up front. I am your ever something. Hell if I know what. Professor Hamby here to provide you lectures with the best information available possible from Miskatonic's Remote Education Program. This is Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, aka the Comics Course. And I am here with my ever you know, why isn't winter break longer, T.A., Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. And it, it's been a few weeks, and it's been the holidays, and I just gave up trying to record new lectures because everything was against me. Y you know that old saying, a scorpion will never strike the same place twice? Well, it turns out they will. Three times, four times, five times. And it's a common saying, isn't it? I've never heard it. I mean, it's as American as apple pie. Yeah. Which is actually British, but, but I mean, actually, if we want to say things that are American, we should say as American as Chicago pizza, Chicago deep dish pizza, or, you know, as American as a cheeseburger. Apple pie is not very American, actually. But anyway, scorpion stinks twice. Everybody, I mean, I, I probably started with Abraham Lincoln. It's that American. And who trusted him to do anything? Well, since he wrote the immense... Uh, proclamation or at least signed it into law a whole lot of people you know were pretty happy about that and i would hope still are since you know enslavement of humans bad just saying and when you talk about trust i mean his nickname was actually honest abe did you not know this Do, have you taken your required history classes yet <laughs> i have and i, I mean i just who said i paid attention well that's understandable anyway Today, uh, we've got some updates. Uh, I will say my health is a lot better. It was rough. Uh, Yoonbi came in, found me in rough shape when she came to deliver one of my Christmas meals. Uh, and she had to get for me, quote unquote, the really good Chinese shit this time. But uh, it did give me a really bad virus. And I'm not going to talk about the cause and effects of it because it turns out you're not supposed to have small black marbles emerge from your spine and drop on the floor. Um, but that was just a side effect. It did kill off the scorpions in my leg. I still think she's trying to kill you. No. I mean, I, I know her gifts are sometimes misinterpreted. Like for Christmas, she gave me a gun with a single bullet in it. I just hope it works for this. But, I mean, this is a joke gift between old friends, right? Sure. Right. I mean, she's a great soul. Um, I was able to get in touch with Thomas again. We're going to start up the chess games again. He said he had a little connectivity problem, but he solved his electrical problems with a new energy source that is animal fat-based. So I chose not to ask for details, but we're going to restart the chess game with randomized positions. And instead of putting them up on the website, I didn't find a really good place to do that. I'm going to start putting them up on Twitter, photos of the game as we progress on Twitter. Um, the board I will be using to mirror the game is a marble chess board with a figurine of the Bombshells era Wonder Woman as the Black Queen and Bombshells era Katana as the White Queen, which I think will be fun. Did you misplace the figures? Did I misplace figures? The actual, like, pieces. No, they're right there in the box behind. Okay. Why? I was just asking. You just automatically assume that I've lost something. Yeah. 
Look, just because I've lost my marbles, including the one that came out of my back, doesn't mean I lost chess pieces. I don't do that. And, and, and I'll tell you, additionally, it was rough because Dr. Feckett finally got out of jail. And he decided to sh and a cost-saving measure to cut off the power to the building. Now, I thought I had a really good idea. I did. I thought I had a really good idea. Because I had the solar power. However, I had forgotten to buy a heater for the office. So I had the power, but I didn't have any way to heat the office. So, I just used the fireplace and the sauna and burned comics to stay alive over winter break. So, it was fine. Don't worry about it. It was just X-Men comics. Specifically, uh, the whole Holy War storyline. Which, if you're not familiar with that, Rowan, is when... A ex-nun decided to revenge herself on the church by installing Nightcrawler as the new pope, then revealing him to the masses so they would get outraged and hate the church, and then feed everybody exploding communion wafers to kill people around the world. Occam's Razor, my friend. Occam's Razor. And to make sure she drew the attention of superheroes to her, uh, crucified teenagers on the X-Men's front lawn. This seems a little extra. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 there's a reason I felt it was okay to burn these. For some reason, I had 4,000 of them sitting around in long boxes. Um, but they came in handy. You know, Massachusetts winter, it was cold and all that. So anyway, now that we got that stuff out of the way, we are going to talk about part four of Christopher Priest's run on Black Panther. Now, I am going to drop a little info here, so you people know how to get a hold of me. You can go to the website, comicscourse.org. Uh, you can go to comicscourse.captivate.fm to directly download the lectures. You can also go to all the major streaming services. We're on there. On Twitter, I'm Prof Hamby, P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y, and let's jump into it. Now, I had to really think about how I wanted to talk about this volume some, because the fundamental problem with Volume 4 of Black Panther is that it's not actually about Black Panther. And it is about a character named Kevin Casper Cole. And Casper is an insult about how he's half white. He's half black and then half white's Jewish. And this character is cared for so little. And by that, I don't mean hated. I mean cared for little. Nobody cares that you will actually usually see him referred to as Casper Cole, people don't even realize that that's an, meant to be an insult name that the bad guys in the book call him. <laughs> right. And I'm going to summarize the plot really quick. Now, normally, I kind of go along with the comics because the unfolding of the story is what we're about. This is a literature podcast slash lecture series. However, it's not what's important here. Today, we're going to talk about the Black Panther process as a whole and how in comic books, a commercial serialized uh, venue where the creators don't own the property, you can have something as brilliant as Christopher Priest's run of Black Panther end in the steaming pile of crap. So here's the basic plot. And it's all about uh, gangs and drugs and police corruption. I mean, Christopher Priest was trying to make stuff work. So Ka Kevin Casper Cole 
is a cop. His dad was a cop. His dad was put up on bad drug charges. He has a baby mama now, Kevin Cole does, and she gets mad at him a lot. She's Korean, and he feels like he needs a promotion. He needs to bring in more money to support the baby mama and the upcoming baby. Now, despite this, he spends a whole lot of the book, once he meets Okoye, you know, basically trying to figure out how to get in Okoye's pants. 10 yeah. out of 10, great boyfriend. Right. And, but I'm jumping a little ahead there. It is a little creepy, though. Not going to lie. And Okoye wants nothing to do with him. And he at one point sits there and goes, she hates me. That's a good end. I can build on that. Yeah, so, I mean, this isn't a likable character. And you can see his basic outfit here. I pulled up the uh, collection for you. I mean, they're channeling the Batman vibes here, right? Yeah. 90s Batman, definitely. Yeah. Now, this is still Christopher Priest writing it. They continue to swap artists in and out like crazy. In fact, it accelerates in this. And it just, basically, the plot is Kevin Cole decides, with his buddies, they're going to do an unauthorized drug raid in order to further their career. It goes really badly. All of his fellow cops end up in intensive care unit. He gets put on suspension while they investigate. Now, this is also being done by higher-up members of the force who are corrupt and working with the drug gangs. He steals from Sergeant Torque, and you may remember Sergeant Torque from earlier volumes when T'Challa was hanging out in New York. Turns out he had a damaged one of T'Challa's uniforms hidden in his apartment which Cole knew about and stole and since it's bulletproof and had neat gadgets used them to duplicate being the Black Panther to try to somehow fix this mess he started and hopefully find information that he could use in his police persona to bust people. Wait, 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 wait. So his way to solve his mess and make things simpler and deal with it was by impersonating a superhero. Right. And the king of Wakanda. Now, let's note, as we go along here, Kevin Cole's not a smart man. He's dumb as shit, actually. No, duh. No wonder he's a cop. Right. <laughs> he is thick as a fucking brick. So, of course, this draws attention from people, especially since T'Challa has disappeared. So, of course, Hunter shows up. And Hunter decides this is all an elaborate manipulation by T'Challa to create a protege of some kind. Because this is the kind of bullshit he would pull. Right. However, when T'Challa is eventually found, he's in a bathrobe and slippers and unshaved, living in the now-shut-down Leslie N. Hills housing project, which the series opened on all the way back with Buster the Rat. And he clearly... I, you know, I know some people have read this as he was manipulating things. I don't think he was manipulating shit. He was just living his best life alone. Right. Now... And, and, and he tears into Kevin Cole. He's like, you're unworthy, and you blaspheme my entire people. Now, Hunter tries to hook him up with a bunch of resources to help him, including bulletproof car, background information on who he wants to bust and everything, and out of sheer spite of some white guy who's the head of an African tribe isn't going to be doing shit for me, burns the car. You is a dumb motherfucker, Kevin Cole. Just saying. I mean, I, I feel like I need to do, like, racist 70s jive talk to, 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 to tap into the kind of contempt for his intelligence I have. And I can't do that justice, so I'm not going to. And by the end of all this, Eric Killmonger wakes back up, says he's still the legal king of Wakanda, 
By the way, it's not clear that Everett Ross isn't still the legal king of Wakanda. I don't know who the legal king of Wakanda is anymore, people. I think they've got like 10 kings. It's Buster the Rat. Buster the Rat is the legal king of Wakanda. I, I think that'd be an improvement over most of the options. Honestly, yeah. So, at one point, Kevin Cole's like, look, I'll paint myself with green and white stripes and call myself the Emerald Iguana if that's your problem. So he eventually becomes a character called the White Tiger. And now, there has been other White Tigers. Uh And nobody, when they think superhero comics White Tiger, nobody thinks of Kevin Cole. That's how much of an impact this character had. This is who they pushed aside African Batman for. Because let's just be blunt here. Christopher Priest, who loves some Batman, I can tell that. I, I, I read through Christopher Priest interviews. He very rarely talked about Batman. But you just need to read Black Panther to know that he loves Batman. And he made African Batman. And clearly the artists for the comics did too, because they drew him very Batman-like. And increasingly so when we get to Kevin Cole, who is, who, who is just poor Batman. Except stupider. A lot stupider. So a poor man's Batman. And that's it. And, and the symbolism is not hard with the corrupt cops and problems with America. There's a scene where Kevin Cole goes out a window and he grabs an American flag to slow himself down and it tears as he falls on the street. I mean, the symbolism is heavy-handed. The writing is not delicate. You could tell that we had hit a point where Christopher Priest was like, fuck it, this is a paycheck. And we're going to talk about that some because I normally don't go in to read interviews about stuff. As a literature professor, I like the literature to to speak for itself. And I am to some degree a deconstructionist. People take it too far. I do think writer's intent has validity because they are the very first one to draw interpretation from a work. But I think a work should stand on its own. If you have to have a writer tell you what was intended, then they didn't do a very good job. If you have to have someone tell you The egg in chapter 3 was a symbol of the unborn Solomon still in his mother's womb in ancient Etruscia. If you can't figure that out from the text yourself, the writer did a shitty job. And it does not actually stand for that in the book. I'm sorry. So, I don't normally go to read interviews, but there was such a transition here between getting rid of T'Challa and Kevin Cole coming in. I I went to an effort to go read some interviews. These will be on the reading list of the website if you want to get them. Uh, Of particular value, I want to point people towards the one from vulture.com. I'm not going to cite exactly which one, what tidbits I'm going to talk about here are from, but there are five of them in total. And there are some interesting tidbits. So I want to go through these and talk about why we got rid of one of the greatest superheroes ever for a character who, when you say comics and White Tiger, people immediately go to the 1970s Deadly Hands of Kung Fu character instead and had zero impact. Meanwhile, we got rid of a character that became absolutely iconic. Now, Christopher Priest has said in interviews that he thinks Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther became the iconic one and was really, in many ways, the basis of the movie Black Panther. But Reginald Hudlin, when asked about it, 
said that Christopher Priest's Black Panther was the iconic one that everyone now has to build on top of. And I think Reginald Hudlin is right. Now, what Reginald Hudlin did was he kind of toned Black Panther down. He made him more likable. Christopher Priest was very cold and aloof. And you're not going to do a movie with cold and aloof Black Panther. Yeah, that just does not work for a movie. Well, and Black Panther was in many ways about black pride. Uh, one of the things I heard from many people, and Christopher Priest mentioned this in an interview after he saw the movie, and I, I've seen other black people say this upon seeing Black Panther. They said when they first see Wakanda at the beginning of the movie, that that was an emotional touchstone for them. Because movies and films and other works have been filled with gleaming futuristic cities and amazing societies, but it was the first time they'd ever seen on film a utopia made by black people. And, and so while movies often wait till much later for emotional touchstones, just that intro sequence of flying into Wakanda was an emotional touchstone for many of them. And that calls back to a Christopher Priest moment when Queen Divine Justice first goes into Eric Killmonger's region of Wakanda, the tribe that he rules, and she first sees Wakanda herself and is blown away. And, you know, she thinks of being black as identifying with rage and anger, and everyone's black here. She doesn't have anything to be angry about here. And she doesn't know her own identity. And that's kind of an indirect way of Christopher Priest saying, you can be angry as a black man. You probably should be angry as a black man. But we have to have something after that anger. We can't just fight a system. We have to have something that we're building past that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about his journey and how we got to this absolute debacle of Kevin Cole as the white tiger. I mean, does that name even sound, you know, like interesting to you, the white tiger? No, it sounds like a poor Kung Fu. I mean, it's just like, hey, honky cat. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't roll. It kind of sounds like a really bad kung fu movie title. Well, and it did come off of a kung fu character, who was, by the way, far more interesting than Kevin Cole. But, yeah, uh, okay, so we're going to start at the beginning a little bit here. I, I, I'm trying to think about how to say this, because it's an awkward thing. The, the truth is that the comic book industry likes to call itself inclusive. It tends to think of itself as a liberal entity. But the fact is, it's not. It's incredibly conservative in a lot of ways. And you see this with the homage given to certain black names and creators. And did you know, this is an interesting bit, that Christopher Priest was the first full-time black employee at both Marvel and DC? Right. Now, far into the company. So, and this was in the 1980s. He began as an intern when he was something like, I don't know, 17 years old or something, as a teenager, at Marvel in 78, I want to say, and then became full-time as an editor, like 83-ish, somewhere in there. Um, or at least his first regular writing gig was in 83. But... Yeah, you know, people, when they, when they summon up names of black creators, there's just a few they call on all the time. Oh, Dennis Cohen, who, who deserves credit for being an early major comic creator, no doubt about it. 
um, and, and a handful of others, but they don't mention Christopher Priest. And so I think he's been underappreciated. He has attributed some of this to being caustic and not always getting along with people, and maybe they don't like to think of him. He's also pulled a few stunts. For example, he began employing a number of black people, not exclusively, but when he was an editor at Marvel, he employed more black people, and there was talk about some sort of weird conspiracy or something. And he responded by writing an open memo to the Marvel staff entitled Marvel White Supremacy Memo. <laughs> identifying all the black creators he worked with and exactly why each one was present. I love it! A, a conspiracy. He just, he's just only going to work. He's like, this guy is good. That's why I hired him, motherfucker. I mean... Uh, it, it's sad when you have to explain someone's worth just because they have dark skin. Right. And people got upset because he had, like, a Malcolm X poster up over his desk. Well, shit, I was 13 and read the autobiography of Malcolm X. It was a great book. I found a lot in there that I empathized with. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. He was a major political and thought leader. Was he a bit militant? Yeah. But no one would complain if they had a military poster of some white guy up. Right. I, I, there have been plenty of militant white leaders. So, um, sorry, I'm kind of gathering my thoughts here because there's so much to potentially talk about. And I do want to say before I forget that his birth name is actually Jim Owsley. So if you read anything about him and they, you hear Jim mentioned, that's because his actual birth name is Jim Owsley, not Christopher Priest. So he took on Christopher Priest as a writing name? But he had been writing for a while as Jim Owsley, and his original credits are under Jim Owsley. Now, one of the interesting things to me is I had heard this story, and I think it came from Christopher Priest himself, and I've mentioned it previously on the podcast, that he had a bad relationship breakup and renamed himself Christopher Priest because he wanted to become a priest and never be with a woman again. And I think that he was just messing with somebody. Oh, yeah, definitely. And he's had several, I know he's had at least one long-term partnership with a woman who was a singer. Mm-hmm. But... In fact, he wrote and produced her album and mixed oh. it. Yeah, so a man of many talents. At the same time that he was working at D.C. and driving a bus for a transit authority wow. in Jersey. He was busy. Right. And he said he likes driving buses. He actually wishes he could just drive buses. He says there's something fun about driving those big buses. And he said it's a lot more fun than writing. But it doesn't pay well in that crazy part. But for a while, he quit working in comics and just drove buses. He became a bus driver? Yep. And still for a while, when he came to D.C., uh, agreed to only do it because they only required him to work in between his split shifts. So he'd get up, go drive the bus in the morning, go to the D.C. offices, work, and then go leave to do the second half of his bus driving shift. People at the, at the his bosses had never seen a man so excited to do bus driving work. Right. I mean, but I'll be honest, it does sound fun. Uh-huh. And it, it, it was interesting to note, uh, I'm kind of jumping around here and I apologize, it's almost random association, but I'm looking at the cover right now of the complete collected Christopher Priest Black Panther Volume 4, and he said he was actually surprised that they were going to do a complete collection because he had been told 
that his series had been retconned away. And we'll talk about that as we get into Reginald Hudlin, because it has. And that the Reginald Hudlin version of Black Panther was the one being promoted going forward. And that Todd Nahisi Coates had been built on. And that's true. Everything with the, with the frogs kind of got retconned away. We'll talk about that later as we get into Reginald Hudlin. Because they did and they didn't. But certainly the brain tumor got retconned away. It's just never happened. And the T'Challa we see in this fourth volume, uh, fourth collected version of the complete Black Panther by Christopher Priest, appears to regain during his time of dealing with Cole some passion for life again and some desire to fight it. But you have to admit, seeing yourself from the future already dying from it is not encouraging. Although weirder things have been tossed away in time manipulation stories. Oh, by the way, Casper Cole also demanded the right of ascension and to challenge for the kingship of Wakanda, even though he had absolutely no legal right to do it. And they entertained him and letting him. Even though he wasn't even a Wakandan? Not even a Wakandan. He was an American. Right. So... It couldn't, couldn't pass the verbal test, where well, you have to know the history of Wakanda. It, it's, it's all bizarre. It's bizarre. Oh, and by the way, he ends up siding with Killmonger. He's offered the heart-shaped herb by T'Challa and a synthetic version from Killmonger, and he takes a synthetic one, so he kind of gets Black Panther powers, except the telepathy, which has been retconned away. Um, so he does develop superhuman abilities and is in league with Killmonger. Well, go has to slow down. So he's a cop from America. He went to Wakanda... Tried to become king, even though he's not even a Wakandan. Sided with a terrorist. Mm -hmm. Although he hadn't been a terrorist in America, and he felt a kinship because he grew up in Harlem around the corner from Cole and Queens. Sided with a terrorist, took the terrorist drugs instead of the king's good drugs, and got superpowers. Right. Now, none of this is about Black Panther, of course. And Wait, why did T'Challa offer to give him the magic plants if he just walked in like he owned the place? We're going to get to that in a minute. Because I don't think this was Christopher Priest's decision. Now, Christopher Priest, he, you have to say this for Christopher Priest. He, his stories are logical. They don't look that way at first, but they are very logical. Everything happens for a reason. And T'Challa's approach and look at the world is extremely methodical, right? We've seen this with his manipulation of events. But all of a sudden, everything's completely nonsensical at this point. And... So how did this happen? Well, it happened because the book wasn't selling well. In fact, now the book started because Joe Quesada came into Marvel and he and Joe Palamianti had been put in charge of this Marvel Knights initiative. And it was supposed to sell really well. And it didn't. In fact, it was even transferred from the Marvel Knights imprint to regular Marvel, at which point uh, Christopher Priest thought it was being canceled. He's like, every other book I've ever worked on has been canceled. Why not this one too? And it kind of fell into like the Don McGregor situation. It always sold just enough, but never enough to make people happy. 
So by the time they hit volume four here, or the collected fourth collection, Christopher Priest has said he was not driving the bus anymore. He was being told by editorial staff what to do and just writing it. So all these nonsensical changes in directions, you can blame Marvel editors for, not Christopher Priest. He was just doing the best he had with the shit bowl he was given. And eventually he gave up. Why do people let editors write their editors? Well, that gets writers. into the difficult balance between editorial and writing. Um, and, you know, at Marvel, you can discuss that in terms of somebody like Jim Shooter. Now, we are, are we talked about Don McGregor in the past with Black Panther. We are soon going to be talking about um, Steve Gerber in the context of Howard the Duck. These were two of the radicals at Marvel. These were two of the guys who just wanted to do their thing and not have editorial oversight. And they got pushed out, basically, by Jim Shooter, who was the grown-up there. The guy who said, I'm cool with people doing wild stuff, but it's got to sell. And Christopher Priest was not one of the radicals. He wasn't an artiste. He was a writer. And if editorial told him, you know, your book's not selling, well, he knows he's not going to get paid if a book can't sell. So he'll take their feedback and integrate it where he needs to. He's an adult about it. But their editorial decisions didn't help either and made the book worse until it got canceled. They attempted a spinoff called The Crew. It didn't last. And at this point, uh, he basically said he was retiring from comics. Now, he has since come back. He's worked for DC. He came back to work on Deathstroke. Since then, he's done other stuff. He's done, uh, is still currently doing a great run at Dynamite on Vampirella. And he's done other stuff over the years, like Quantum and Woody for Acclaim, which is brilliant. And in fact, that got him, in some ways, the Black Panther run. Go ahead. But the real important question, is he still driving his bus? No, because he lives in Colorado now. Colorado have no buses? Well, he went to do something else. He became a pastor. When he wasn't doing anything in comics, he became a pastor and started up a business operating websites for churches. Wow, he really is going with the no women thing. I don't know. I mean, he's a pastor, not a Catholic priest, so I suspect he can still have women in his life. <laughs> and trust me, I've read enough Christopher Priest to know that he likes the ladies. <laughs> and I'm there with you, bro. There's no shame. I mean, don't be a creep about it, but, you know. Um... I mean, if you have students, don't date them. Wait till they, you know, change majors. Um, sorry, I had to go there. So that's probably true. Um, that and the still lingering smell of the burnt X-Men comics. Uh, it turns out that was really rank ink they used. Fair enough. So I want to talk about Quantum and Woody and Joe Casada for a second, because this is how Christopher Priest ended up on Black Panther. It's an interesting little point of connection in the world. So Joe Casada ended up running the Marvel Knights imprint and eventually became head of the entirety of Marvel. He actually got his first working comics from Christopher Priest when Christopher Priest was an editor at Marvel. Uh, not Sorry, not at Marvel, but at DC. And he had somebody be a, a diva about getting their art in for licensed D&D comics, Dungeons and Dragons comics. And there was this kid, Joe Casada, who had never worked before, 
And he was like, I like your samples. Here, you want to do D&D comics? <laughs> the balls you have to have. <laughs> so, I mean, that's he gave Joe Casada his entrance. And then Joe Casada, years later, essentially gives Christopher Priest the most iconic series he's done. Because something like Quantum and Woody... Quantum and Woody is incredibly good, by the way. It is one of those comics I recommend to people um, because of its just sheer quality. But people outside comic book circles don't know it. It's about these two superheroes whose powers... who They don't like each other. And they don't get along. Because one is like... A, they're an odd couple. One's like a serious black guy, but he has a mask on because he doesn't want people to know he's black. Because then they don't take him seriously. And then one's like this dude bro white guy. And But their powers require them to spend time together every 24 hours or they lose their powers. And, and like there's and they break the fourth wall and stuff like that. Things are told non-linearly. Kind of sounds like Black Panther, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, there's one scene that's classic where one of the characters is holding up the sign and it's like, and I'm doing this from memory, so I apologize if I get the setup wrong. But he basically says to the reader, I've been told I can't use the N-word. So in this book, you'll see new gear. And every time we say new gear, we mean the N-word. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Loopholes. And this is Christopher Priest, right? And he's great. He's great. Quantum and Woody, highly recommend it to people. Absolutely. Now, all these sorts of mechanics you saw in the early black... Don't worry about that. It's just the black helicopters. Not again. They fly over regularly at this time looking for escapees, I'm told. Anyway. Um, but they, they had approached him about doing a comic. Now, interestingly, they told him Marvel Knights, and he was really hoping to do Daredevil. I would love to see a long Christopher Priest run on Daredevil. I'll have to check. I don't think he ever did end up ever writing any Daredevil. But they said, no, Black Panther. And he said, oh. He didn't want to do Black Panther. He didn't want to do Black Panther because Panther? to him, Black Panther was an inherently black character. And he did not want to become the black comic book writer. Just a comic book writer. Plus, he knew Black Panther didn't sell. In fact, it, 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 unfortunately, that turned out to be true. In, in fact, when the Black Panther movie was getting made and he was tapped to be, you know, have some involvement, he met with one of the producers and said, are you sure you want to do this? Is he, are people going to show up to a Black Panther movie? <laughs> you know, I, as, we've, as we've been hearing about this and you've talked about how awful they've sold, I'm shocked sold. they an announced a movie now. Right. Um, but he didn't even really sound like a B-list character if he was selling this poorly. But he's one of those... We can point some of this to Avi Arad at Marvel Cinema, who worked at Marvel Comics, worked at uh, in toy lines related to, to comic merchandise. He's a comic book fan. He's a true comic book nerd. And he needed to see Black Panther on the screen. And thank goodness for that. And they also had muscle from Reginald Hudlin. Now, we're going to talk about Reginald Hudlin's writing line after this. And I want to remind people, Reginald Hudlin became the default setup for Black Panther. But he himself has said Christopher Priest's Black Panther is the one he had to build from because it became definitive. Reginald Hudlin, in fact, has said in interviews something I've said in this very podcast. 
that Christopher Priest was the first one to write Black Panther as a king. And that's absolutely true. And yes, Reginald Hudlin took the sharp edges off Christopher Priest's Black Panther, but he used a lot of it. And then Ta-Nehisi Coates took Reginald Hudlin's and moved with it. We would not have a Black Panther that we widely know and love without Christopher Priest's run. Period. But they wanted that strange dynamic, that weird storytelling for the Marvel Knights Black Panther. And they convinced him to do it. And he said on one, on one criteria, it's a Black Panther title, but I don't want Black Panther to be the main character. I w- because I don't want to be the black comic book writer. I want to take an everyman character and make him our point of view. So here comes Everett K. Ross, our essentially protagonist of a Black Panther comic. Because we never get to see what T'Challa is thinking. We only see him through Everett's eyes. And it's a brilliant storytelling mechanic, as we talked about. And that's why I'm only pulling some selected items from these interviews where they pertain to the story. For people who are interested in more about Christopher Priest's thought pattern and things that aren't directly relevant to the storytelling, I encourage you to read these in the reading list. Yeah. So that's how we ended up on Black Panther, being being told they wanted Pulp Fiction in a story with the sensibility of Quantum and Woody and that he got to put in a white protagonist so he didn't get stereotyped as a black writer. You know, he took a very different approach to needing more white guys in Black Panther. Right, exactly. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) But, I mean, so that's where it ended up. And, of course, it ended up canceled. Um, I'm going to read you this one quote. I I copied this quote from the Vulture uh, interview because I have said this myself many times, and I'm glad to see somebody else acknowledge it. Quote, the first page of Priest's Black Panther run, published in 1998, remains one of the best openings of any superhero epic. End quote. And they're absolutely correct. And that's what we're doing today. We're looking back on the first three volumes as an epic. Volume four is a failure. It's a corporate failure I'm not going to contest that sometimes editorial needs to put reins on writers. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about Steve Gerber and Howard the Duck. But it was a complete failure here. In fact, I'm going to quote Priest from another interview. Quote, I never had editorial or creative control over the book. All of the shifts in approach and changes in the narrative were were suggested by Marvel, including replacing T'Challa with Vin Diesel toward the end in desperate flailing to keep the book alive. In quote. Did not work here. So that's it. The death of his vision for Black Panther, um, which he did not set out to recreate. He did not set to re- out to reinvent Bla- Black Panther, but he did. And he created, with some tweaks by Reginald Hudlin, the Black Panther that people know in the movie and love. Just not as smart. Just not as smart. Which kind of pisses me off, actually. But, okay. I, they wanted to give the Shuri character the scientist vibe. I think there are ways to have made her a unique character without taking away something from T'Challa. Okay. I, I, this is something that kind of pisses me off. 
to make female characters shine in movies, they feel like they have to dumb down the male characters, which just pisses me off. Right. Now, it's like saying they can't be equals. Right. In the comics, Shuri was presented as, not initially, because she was younger and less trained and hadn't been through as many experiences, but she, when her growth as Black Panther happened, and we will be talking about that, written by Reginald Hudlin, along with the Wakandas teleporting across Africa again, um, she's the equal. She is capable of the same physical feats. She's capable of being a fighter. She's smart. She does all these things. Now, later in ta Coates' run, he takes her in a radically different path, um, making her a very spiritual character connected to the history of Wakanda's magic. And ta Coates has an interest in the female aspects of African culture that the previous writers didn't, mm-hmm. which is actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that got ignored by the movie because they needed to make a uh, vax denier a scientist, which is why, <laughs> folks, I won't be watching World of Wakanda. So sad. I know. I loved the... I, I had There were faults with it, but I liked the Black Panther movie. I was really looking forward to another Black Panther movie and finding out she's a vax denier. It is just going to scream itself in my brain every time she's on the screen, so I can't do it. It's so sad because when they first announced we're doing a second Black Panther movie, I was so excited. Yeah. And do you know how dumb she is? I saw in an interview, she was looking at the components of one of the vaccines, and, and she says, see, it has loose in it. That's part of Lucifer. Read your Bible, people. Uh, uh, that's not how that works. Oh, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there will be no world of Wakanda covered on this lecture series. Dear religious people, if you wonder why, why people who aren't religious think you're dumb, this is part of the reason. Right, exactly. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we're only we're going to be under 50 minutes. Yay us. Uh, next up will be the strange and foul history of Howard the Duck. You love that foul part. I know. I love it way too much. I find it funny every single time I say it. You smile every time you say the title. I know. It's so juvenile, but I love it. Okay. Um, see you in a few, guys. Bye. Bye.